we sang a song, Show Us Christ. It was effectively a prayer. Uh, but I do want to pray right now, as we just before we open the Word of God, and ask for a, an extra measure of grace. All right, let's pray. God, we are gathered here because we want to hear from you. And we're asking that you would, in this time of preaching, bring that to bear on our own minds as your word is proclaimed. Bring that to bear on our hearts as well. And we know that the work uh, done in our lives is not the result of the cleverness of a speaker, but in the power of your word applied by your spirit. So, Father, we're asking that you would do that now. You would accomplish that work in us. So show us Christ, that we may be made like him. We pray it for his glory. Amen. So uh, just going through Costco the other day, uh, you, you notice something. Uh, the things that they put on sale uh, and bring to the front of the store are kind of, they're seasonal, but they, they seem to be in agreement with the minds of the customers. And if you'll notice, if you've noticed there, if you're a Costco member, they probably do this at Sam's Club too. They bring all the vitamins, like all the health stuff, right? Because what do people do? They make resolutions. I got to lose some weight. I got to get some exercise. I got to do something more healthy. Now, I'm not against uh, New Year's resolutions. I'm not much for making them myself. But one thing that I, that I do do is I resolve to keep reading through the Bible in the year. And of course, as I just mentioned, and I have been mentioning the last few Sundays, I've been commending to you one of these Bible reading plans. And so I want to encourage you again, take one. Please take one and begin reading today. But the question I want to answer is, why do we need the Bible? Now, that may seem like an obvious answer. Why do we preach from the Bible? Why do we typically use Bible texts as a foundation for sermons? And I'm not going to defend what most of you take for granted, the Bible is God's written word, has been breathed out by the Holy Spirit and has no less authority in our lives than if God were to speak out of the heavens, no less authority than that. But today, what I want to do is take you to a section of the Bible that tells us the benefits of the Bible, the benefits of God's word. So I want to give you this morning Bible reasons to love the Bible. So, I invite you to open your own Bibles to Psalm 19. Now, there are Bibles in the room if you do not have your own copy of that. I, I, I would just say this, and again, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but uh, that paper Bible, you don't get ads popping up in the corner, right? That's just something to think about. Whereas if the Bible's on your phone, it's like, oh, buy this thing, and then you're plugging that, and then you're distracted from the Bible possibly. The paper Bible is useful. If you do not own a copy of the a paper copy of the Bible, we have lots in the room. You're welcome to take one home. But Psalm 19, 7 through 11. Listen to the Word of God about the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. 
Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. This is God's word about his word. So, you've heard this psalm, we've read it together, and you've seen some words. What I, what I want you to know that the, the word law, the word precept, the word testimony, the word rules, all of these are synonymous with the word of God, what we commonly refer to as the Bible. And so from this passage of scripture, we're going to consider reasons to love the Bible. And, and just fair warning, um, I'm going to back up the dump truck and unload a whole host of other scriptures on you, many of which you are probably familiar with and some have, in fact, probably memorized. But let's go. So here we are. Six reasons to love the Bible. First reason to love the Bible, it makes you alive. It makes you alive. I've become uh, more personally familiar with life-saving techniques of late, and I'm very grateful for all of it. But one thing that I do know is that all the medical technology, all of the, that it's been amassed, that cannot revive a person who has died. And I know hearts stop on the table and they do, but there's a limited amount of time. And that's, I wouldn't say that's fully dead. That's just, you know, Princess Bride, mostly dead, right? What I'm saying is, buried in the grave, medical technology has nothing. Nothing, no, no ability to make alive. Now, I know there are resurrections noted in the Bible, and they're rare. And there were unique works of God by God's power alone. But none of us are under any illusion. Eventually, we all physically die. It's the consequence of Adam's sin. And of course, it's not just him, but it's our willing participation in it. Now, all of us who are in Christ, believers in Christ, we hold on to the future hope of a resurrection when Christ returns. But what is available now is a living relationship with God, spiritually alive, where we enjoy his forgiveness and favor and the guarantee of a renewed body at the return of Christ. That is spiritual life. The dead soul can have spiritual life. The dead soul can be revived now, and God's word does that. Psalm says, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That which is dead needed to be revived. The law of Yahweh, it is perfect. That means it's complete. Nothing's needed beyond it. And the psalmist tells us that what it accomplishes in its completeness, right? It is complete because it is the testimony of God's promises given and fulfilled. God's promise to save all who truly have faith in him. So what it reveals, the Bible, what the Bible reveals, makes the soul that was dead alive when it's believed. Now, each of us, of course, are born in sin, and our default position, we've got to get this, is that we're spiritually dead. So it's not like you were once spiritually alive and then you spiritually died. No, we, are, we come into this world in a default position of being spiritually dead, but when we encounter the Word of God, which tells us the good news of Jesus Christ, that good news that, that He, the Son of God, took our sins to the cross, defeating its death grip on each of us, on all who believe, Right? You're made spiritually alive. You are forgiven. 
right? Now, to be sure here, the Holy Spirit is, is the one who applies that. But there is life power, life power, spiritual life power in the gospel. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.16, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Power for life. And in Paul's second uh, letter to Timothy, he reminded him, Timothy that is, to be, to be diligent to live a godly life, to, to rest on the very same word of God that was given in, as he says, 2 Timothy 3.15, the sacred writings, that is the Bible, the scriptures, that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, the Bible evokes in us faith when applied by the Holy Spirit, which makes us alive, wise to salvation. Now, the Bible not only revives your soul, it keeps you spiritually healthy. Now, every day, we need food, right? That food gives you the nutrients and energy to physically function. Now, it's an obvious fact. We get it. If you disregard that, right? You do so to your own peril. After the Israelites, just as an example in the Bible, after the Israelites were delivered from slavery uh, in Egypt, they were delivered by the power of the Lord. What God did was he intentionally put them in a tough spot. They were hungry. They're out in the wilderness. What are we going to eat? And the Lord God satisfied their physical hunger with manna from heaven. And the scriptures tell us why he did that. Why did he do that miracle? They were to learn that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, they, they would live because God said, here's manna. They would physically live. And that was meant to be an illustration of the fact that they would not be spiritually alive unless God spoke to them. It is God's word that is the means by which they live. So brothers and sisters, love the Bible because it made you alive and keeps you healthy. Second, love the Bible because it makes you wise. It makes you wise. Discrimination is a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, in the wrong contest, context. That's, that's an offensive statement. I get it. But, but we know this. Everyone discriminates. It's simply the act of choosing one thing over another. That's what discrimination is. You could do it badly or you could do it well, right? So should I, should I drive the Bentley or the Bugatti today? Should I go to Harvard or Princeton? Should we vacation on the yacht or, or go to the villa in Tuscany? You know, kind of decisions we all have to choose from, right? <laughs> I know it's silly, but we make decisions all the time, right? We do. And wisdom is simply using the powers of discretion and discernment to decide what is best in the given circumstance. And wisdom is often using moral discernment, deciding what is the righteous thing to do. And the Word of God gives that ability to us. Psalm says, the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. Someone who is simple 
is someone who does not understand the consequences of a wrong decision. Children are simple, right? Don't touch that hot stove, you say to the toddler. They don't get the consequences. Well, it's, I'd like to. And they put their hand in the stove. Ah! They gain wisdom, of course, through experience. But wisdom is learned when you listen to the wise, right? And where is wisdom? Well, it is in the testimony of the Lord. That's a simple fact. If you want to be wise, you find it in the Word of God. You find it in the Bible. Now, wisdom, of course, rests on something else that is vital. And, and this is the third reason to love the Bible. So the Bible makes you wise. Love it because it makes you wise. But it depends on something else. Love the Bible because it reveals truth and is truth. That's the third. You know how culture these days, I don't think it used to be this, and um, I think it's a philosophical conundrum, but it works in popular culture. Here's what I mean. Um, maybe you've noticed that when, and, and this is kind of sensitive, but when people, and, and it's oftentimes I've seen it in the context of victims of abuse, they tell their stories. And you see then the media's fascination with the victim stories, and they use it as entertainment, which is unfortunate. But they're encouraged to tell your truth, right? Uh, and I want to minimize the importance of those who experience trauma to, to share their stories with trusted friends or law enforcement or justice, right? That's important. But I take ex exception with this expression, your truth, as if it's somehow completely subjective, right? That which is true is that which agrees with reality. And reality must have an eternally objective standard. Re that's reality, has to have an eternally objective standard. So truth is reality as God knows it and reveals it. And to that end, then, truth is undeniable and immovable. And truth is necessary because everything in the created realm depends on it. And this is also true. Where true... <laughs> Where there is truth, that which is false is also exposed. Now, looking at our psalm, verses 8 and 9, I take it that the psalmist is speaking of truth, the objective reality which God declares. And, and he, of course, it's done in poetic verse. He says, God's word is right, pure, clean, and true. And that, that truth has experiential benefits because of the very nature of it. So, verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Precepts, the Word of God, the Bible, the instructions of the Lord for all of life, these are right, and that brings rejoicing. Now, if you've ever bought a piece of furniture online, you know, the, the flat pack kind, and I think a lot of it comes from the Far East, possibly China, but then when you open the instructions, you often find that the language in it is less than accurate. The translation hasn't been done exactly right, so they're sometimes confused about what it's asking. But then in the box, there's not enough of one kind of fastener, too many of another, the wrong drawer front. Sometimes you have to abandon the project entirely, right? 
and wait for replacement parts. It's frustrating. The instructions don't work. Now, the Lord's precepts, his, his instructions, when you follow them, it brings rejoicing. It, it's the puzzle piece that fits. It's the best path to the destination. It is the way that is good for all. And you feel it's right because, in essence, it agrees with what ought to be. Obedience to the precepts of God, to the word of God, is happiness. Now, I know the world wouldn't say that. Obedience to the word of God brings happiness. The apostle John, he wrote in his first letter, talking about the love of God, but what it is for, for believers in Jesus to, to, to actually be faithful, right? For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And he says this, and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not. The psalmist continues, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And I take this to be a, a, a moral description. Enlightening is, is it's bringing in light, right? To dispel the darkness. Darkness is, is metaphorical for that which is evil and corrupt. Light is that for which is pure and, and righteous. So, so the commandment is pure and it enlightens the eyes. It exposes falsehood. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The, the, the purity and the cleanness of the, the word of God means that there is nothing at all corrupt in it or anything that is corrupting. And the word of God, it, it never wears out. It never decays. It never gets old or obsolete. Never. Enduring forever. Jesus said this, Matthew 5, 18. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. Those are punctuation marks. Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Enduring forever. Continuing in verse 9, the psalmist says, the, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Altogether. That's not partial, but in whole. God's word is true. And, and what that means is that you cannot pick and choose parts of the Bible you, you want to revere and, and then decide to reject some parts of the Bible that are bothersome to you or too hard. And we know this, and, and perhaps you've lived like this for a time. Maybe you are now. There are those who profess to be Christians and have decided to give themselves a pass on some pet sin for the sake of convenience or just simply habit or ingrained, this is how I am, just giving up. But you can't do that. If the word of God is altogether, that is to say, holy, righteous. Now we talked about love the Bible because it makes you wise. Love the Bible because it's true and reveals truth. Truth and wisdom together are what is needed to grow to maturity. If you don't have truth, there can be no wisdom. It doesn't have anything to rest on. And without wisdom, 
Truth will not be applied to a circumstance. And the Bible, brothers and sisters, the Bible gives us both. Now, many of us, of course, can memorize Paul's instruction to Timothy that all Scripture is breathed out by God, exhaled by the Holy Spirit, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And here's the result, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's all-encompassing. Love the Bible. Well, love the Bible because it's valuable. That's the fourth reason to love the Bible. It's valuable. Uh, with the volatility of the, uh, the stock market, there, there are, <laughs> you see this on probably mostly in the news shows, there's no shortage of, of formerly famous actors using their names and image to, to get you to buy real gold, right? Buy real gold. Now, the only gold I own is right there in this ring. Kathy gave it to me 37 years ago, a little more. That's precious to me, not so much for what it's made of, but for what it means. But we get it. I mean, it is made of gold because it's meant to say this is a precious thing, right? Gold is this precious metal that, that never seems to lose its value, right? I know some people, you know, when their marriages fall apart, sadly, they hawk the, wing, the rings and they, they get something out of it, right? The gold has, has value. Well, well, the psalmist here wants us to think of God's word that way. It is precious. It will never lose its value. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. The word of God is better than 18 karat gold or whatever. Is there more? Is there better? I'm not even sure. I don't know gold. So, but whatever, whatever the best gold is, the word of God is, is eternally better than that. Now, I have this very, very nice Bible with, uh, it's got a goat skin cover. And uh, I'll admit it was very expensive and I cherish it. Uh, the reason I got it, of course, is because I think it will last, but it also a reminder for me, the, the nice cover and the, the gold-edged pages. It's a reminder for me that the words it contains are, are the most precious words. Do you see the word of God as more valuable than anything else? Do you see it that way? You know, when the Word of God, when the words of the Bible stand in contrast to worldly wisdom, which words prevail? And when we're faced with that challenge, do the worldly wisdom words sometimes capture our hearts? If they do, do you see the Word of God as truly valuable as it is? The Word of God, these are gold nuggets of truth that provide eternal dividends. Excuse me. Eternal dividends that, that make Warren Buffett's investment wisdom seem like the babblings of a fool. We have to see it that way, right? Love the Bible, brothers and sisters, because it is eternally valuable. Five, love the Bible because it is desirable. It's desirable. Now, God created us with appetites, 
you may enjoy a well-prepared meal. You may savor the grandeur of creation. You may be brought to tears by the beauty of music. In the context of marriage, there are exclusive physical pleasures. All of these are good. Some tastes, some things are acquired tastes. As a kid, I hated Brussels sprouts. Hated them. Absolutely loathed them. But then Kathy made this wonderful side dish for Christmas dinner, and I can't get enough of these Brussels sprouts. It's an acquired taste. Now, the, the psalmist wants us to see something even better in, in the second part of verse 10. He tells us the word of God is sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And I can imagine that the psalmist was like, what is the, what's the thing taste-wise that is the best that you could find? And that's his example. Now, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So I just want to pause here. Maybe you don't feel that way. Maybe, like me, reading parts of numbers, well, lists, or I really struggle with the middle section of Job. Right? It doesn't seem that inspiring. I'm often reminded of a quote by Alistair Begg, all of Scripture is inspired, not, but not equally inspiring. So that's true. That is true. But the psalmist here is saying that it's sweeter. It's more desirable than, than the sweetest thing that you could find in the earth. I think, in some respects, the Word of God is an acquired taste. And, and I think the Holy Spirit causes us to acquire that taste. Because when the world, when those who aren't believers encounter the Word of God, they may say, wow, what is this? And as believers in Jesus, we encounter this. The Holy Spirit says, even when an unbeliever, I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, like some politician quotes a piece of Scripture, and you're going, whoa, they just said something that's eternally true, whether that person's character matches up with it or not. You hear the Word of God somewhere, and you go, that's true. That's right. The Spirit does that. But you know what? The only way that you can develop a taste, the only way that you can develop an appetite for the Scriptures is by taking in the Scriptures. I had to eat lots of Brussels sprouts before I could acquire a taste for Brussels sprouts. And when I was a kid, I hated coffee. But then I turned 16, and I acquired a taste for coffee. So you get it, right? And if you do that, if you Give yourself to it. You will find it to be satisfying. So, so let me encourage you to do this. When you read the Bible, when you prepare to hear it preached, pray. Pray that God would cause it to delight your soul. And pray that God would give you an insatiable appetite for it. Love the Bible because it's desirable. Love the Bible because it warns you of danger. I've driven on some of those roads that are cut through rocky and mountainous sections, right? And every once in a while, you find these chunks of rock in the road. Now, none has ever hit my car, and I've never run into one of those. But, but you know, before you get to those sections, there's those road signs, and I'm grateful for them. Beware of falling rock. And that way, I can beware of the danger and choose not to go that way. The sign that says bridge out. I'm turning around. Accept the warning, right? Well, the Bible is like that. 
Now, even though us as believers, we are rescued from the eternal consequence and the present power of sin, we are constantly, constantly learning how to navigate away from those things that might trip us up. Sin. We're warned. The psalmist says in verse 11, Moreover, by them, these words, the word of God, the testimonies of God, Moreover, by them is your servant warned. And he says this, and in keeping them, there is great reward. The reward is that you get to be healthy, right? If you ignore the road sign saying bridges out and say, wow, I don't want to take my chances. You're going down the, the ravine. There's a reward in turning around. Brothers and sisters, when the Bible warns us about sin, there's a reward in saying, not going there. An example from Hebrews. Writer, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. Okay, so I'm just going to stop there. He's writing to the believers. Take care, brothers, and here's the warning, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart, which tells us that, okay, we can, we can kind of get lazy. We can, we can get to the place where we're going, I'm not so sure I trust you, God. The warning is, watch out for that. Lest there be in any of you an un evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The word of God believed, the word of God taken to heart, kept in mind. It warns us of spiritual dangers and and it teaches us to avoid those pitfalls. And another psalm, you may be familiar with this, uh, often memorized. I, psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Commit it to memory. Commit it to ruminating on it, thinking about it. So if you want to avoid sin and live a life of holiness, the Bible teaches you what things you should love and how to hate and avoid sin. And its warnings are for the protection of your soul. And so for these reasons and many others, you need the Bible and you should love the Bible. Now, the Word of God is, is unlike any other book. I think you know that. And because of that, you, you should revere it. You should love it. But I want to remind you how the Bible is unique. Hebrews 4, 12, often memorized. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and get this, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Living and active. You, you can't say living and active about the Melville classic Moby Dick. You can't say living and active about Hemingway's Old Man in the Sea. You can't do that. Living and active means that the words of the Bible are uniquely powerful. It pierces to the core of our beings. It discerns us. You don't so much read the Bible as it reads you. And when God speaks, and that's what it is, 
The Bible is God's speech. When he speaks, God's word actualizes the very thing that he declares. So think about this. When God spoke and said, let there be light, light could not not be. That's the power of the word of God. And if the Bible says you ought, that's certainly a truth to take to heart. It it expects our obedience, but doesn't always compel it. Yet, God's word does exactly what God intends for it to do. And we read this together, and I'll remind you, for the as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, this is the illustration, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout. The rain is, has an effect. It does something, giving seed to the sower and, and bread to the eater. That's the illustration. So, the Lord says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It shall. Now, something else to consider. How you think about the Bible and how you respond to it has everything to do with whose you are, who you belong to. If your heart, when encountering the word of God, says, nah, close it, get it out of my sight, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with it. I think that's, that's revealing. It tells, I think, how you respond to it. it, tells whether you're a child of God or not. So if you have trusted Jesus, if you have trusted that his death on the cross paid for your sin, then the things he says, what Jesus says, and that's the whole of the Bible. Don't don't think that his words are isolated to the red ones in the Gospels. No, the entirety of Scripture, Jesus owns that, okay? He's the author of it. If you belong to Christ, what he says should be matter. And he said this to some hypocritical religious authorities. He said this, you do not believe, this is cutting, you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one snatch them out of my hand. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. And having heard, they follow. And if you're a child of God, when you hear the word of God, and I understand there are periods of time when we're maybe fighting and resisting and fumbling and stumbling along. But at some point in time, That word will grip your heart and turn you in the direction you ought to go. And if you've been embroiled in sin, it will bring repentance. And once having and having repented of your sin, the same word of God will come in and comfort your soul with the knowledge that Christ covered that sin. And you will be compelled to listen and follow and listen and follow. And even while you stumble and bumble along, you'll say, give me more of that word. So, brothers and sisters, read the Bible. Do it regularly, if not daily, at least several times a week. And 
talked about this Bible reading plan. It can help, but you don't have to use that. It's not an inspired Bible reading plan. It's just a Bible reading plan. It's a useful tool. And, and don't think of it legalistically, right? Like God will be mad at you if you miss a day or something unexpectedly crowds in to steal the time you set aside. God has spoken not to bind you up, but to free your soul and feed you. So when it comes to the Bible, just make a plan and ask for God's grace to keep it. And this goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Expect, brothers and sisters, expect to hear the Bible preached. And if you move away from here, find a church that preaches the Bible. And demand nothing less from us, your pastors. And I'll say this, if, if I or anyone else who might stand here, right, if we veer off into stories and therapeutic talk, ways that you can help yourself, hear me on this. Make sure you rebuke us, okay? It's mostly me. Rebuke me. Is that in the book? Challenge me if you don't think it is. And, and let me just give you some sermon evaluation advice. Sermon delivery is part art, and sometimes the delivery is pleasing, and at other times it is not. Sometimes the illustrations connect, and at other times they fall flat. But the value, the value in the sermon is not primarily the skill of the orator, but in hearing the voice of God. So let the most important question about a sermon be, did he faithfully preach the word of God? That's what you want. That's what you need. And so when you, when you read it, the word of God, the Bible, when you hear it taught, be purposeful about keeping it in mind, ruminate on it, maybe even memorize it, and share what you're reading or learning with others who also love it. That makes the truth stick. I found that. The Bible made you spiritually alive. It makes you wise. It reveals truth. It is valuable. It is desirable. And it warns you of danger. And for all these reasons and a myriad of others, if you give yourself to reading, hearing, and savoring the word of God, the Bible will reward you. Because the Bible is about Jesus, ultimately. And it's about what Jesus has done for you. And if you're making any Bible-informed resolutions, if you have done this, for this day or for the whole year. Know this, that the word of God will give you the power to carry them out so that as a result, you will become more like Christ and joyfully expectant for his return. And here's what I know. That's the will of God for you. And I think you know it too. So brothers and sisters, Love the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for speaking. Where would we be? Where else could we go? As we sang earlier, you have the words of eternal life. 
And uh, in as much as we take to heart this food for our souls, God, we know that you will grow us, you will protect us, you will make us wise, you will guide us, you will make us more like your son, which is your will for us. So, God, let it be. For those in the room who are uh, as yet unbelieving, Father, I pray that your word, even now, will save. And for all of us who already belong to you, strengthen us, Father, in our resolve to love your word, that Christ himself may be glorified in our individual lives and in our church. And we all pray it all in his name. Amen.